Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Julie Yuwen Chen, Professor of Chinese Studies at University of Helsinki, Finland. Today, we have Professor Dominic Meng Xuanyang with us to talk about his award-winning book. This book is entitled The Great Exodus from China, Trauma, Memory, and Identity in Modern Taiwan. Professor Yang is Associate Professor of East Asian History at the Department of History, University of Missouri, Columbia, USA. His book was published by Cambridge University Press. Following the publication, the book won an award from the Memory Studies Association First Book Award. So I have had the honor to read the book myself already. The book has claimed to achieve what it really wants to achieve. Basically, it challenged our thinking of a conventional Chinese Civil War historiography that narrates the Chinese communist victory and the nationalist failure and the further retreat to Taiwan. I think the kernel of this book shows the traumatic experience of hundreds of thousands of ordinary Chinese people in the wake of the Chinese Communist Revolution. I was really touched by the book. And I think what really shocked me and made me really appreciate this book even more is about the background of the author and who is uh, going to share his book with us himself today. Uh, Professor Yang, so welcome to our North Asia podcast. And perhaps you can explain a bit to us first about yourself and your positionality as a researcher in this great project. I know you kind of uh, hid it in the epilogue of your book. So you didn't talk about yourself and we were just reading a book. But, you know, now I want to do it the reverse way. Could you tell mm-hmm. us about your research, yourself and your positionality? Thank you very much, uh, Professor Chan. Thank you for your invitation. It's an honor and privilege for me to be here and uh, introducing my book uh, to the listeners. With regard to my background or my positionality, in general, for the audience who have little understanding of contemporary Taiwanese society, there are several groups in Taiwan when it comes to post-war Taiwanese politics. There are the mainlanders who I study, people who came over with Chiang Kai-shek's regime when the nationalist regime fell in China. And there were the locals. The locals had different groups, native population or the indigenous population or aborigines population, whatever you want to call them. And then the people who, the ethnic Han Chinese who have been on the island since the late Ming and early Qing dynasty. And these were the actual majority on the island. They're called the native Taiwanese. Call them that. So I actually came from a native Taiwanese background. Now, for people who have understanding of contemporary Taiwan history, there's the native Taiwanese and the mainlanders are kind of like uh, hostile groups, right? It's basically a lot of the native Taiwanese actually view mainlanders who came over, of course, with Chiang Kai-shek's history. So they view the regime itself as kind of an outsider colonial force suppressing the Taiwanese. And then, of course, the mainlanders themselves, they don't see it that way. They see Taiwan, you know, as a part of China because Japan did give back Taiwan to nationalist China in 1945 when it was defeated. So when 
the nationalists came, they thought they were moving to uh, another part of China. And of course, you do have these two supposedly Chinese population speaking different languages and have different backgrounds. And of course, I grew up in Taiwan in the late 70s and 80s before my family migrated to the United States. So I did have the tail end of the, the nationalist education. It was not until I returned to Taiwan two decades later as a graduate student that I started to learn the native Taiwanese view of history. But then that really got me intrigued of the also this other side, the nationalist history, which, you know, I sort of learned when I was a child and have this very vague impression. When you actually study the mainlanders and heard about the mainlanders, you heard about their trauma stories, right? And then that doesn't fit either with the original nationalist KMT narrative or the Taiwanese narrative. And I started wanting to find out more about it. And of course, I have to say, I go into this research at the very beginning because I started this research in 2007, 2008, right around that time. And I have to say that I sort of uh, went in with this prejudicial view of the nationalists. I did see them as colonizers and oppressors. And like I said, to a certain degree, I still see them that way because the power relation in Taiwan between different groups before democratization wasn't equal. But at the same time, through researching mainlander history, trying to see things from their perspective, I came to a realization that that this uh, was a group of people that was traumatized, that live in displacement, and their entire life has been governed by displacement, this nostalgia, this search for some kind of belonging. And of course, the first generation, by the time they got really old, when they had a chance, actually went back to China uh, in the late 80s and early 1990s and saw that China was not the China that they left. They came back to Taiwan with some kind of appreciation for this Taiwan. And then the next generation, the Taiwan-born mainlanders, we call them the second and the third generations. They're practically Taiwanese, but they are brought up in a way that's a little bit different from the local Taiwanese. When Taiwan democratized, both of the generation or the three generations, they sort of went through another type of displacement and trauma again because of the changing political scene in Taiwan and now the nationalist dictatorship ended and all this history that's taught about China and Chinese history and how Taiwan's connection with China all of a sudden becomes something that's not politically correct. <laughs> and the nationalist regime they came over with, right? And the, like I said, the, the type of history that they were taught were, and they themselves were associated with this sort of brutal dictatorship and their accomplices to this regime, right? So you can imagine that's another type of displacement. It is through an understanding of this history from 1949 to to basically contemporary Taiwan that came from the other side of the aisle, right? And also as an outsider, you know, a half an outsider to Taiwanese society, that I come to be extremely empathetic of this group of people. Like we're talking about a little, either one million or 
a little bit over one million people that came from different places, mainland China, and were displaced to Taiwan in the late 40s and early 50s. This was one of the largest forced migrations in modern East Asia in the mid 20th century that was never seriously studied. And as Professor Chen has mentioned at the very beginning, it has to do with how the entire view、uh, of modern East Asia, modern China, view the Chinese Civil War as this revolution.、And、when you're talking about revolution, war, there are and not forced displacement, forced migration. There are certain things that you're going to focus a lot more on instead of you know looking at people's actual lives. And this not only goes for the migration, the displacement between Taiwan and China, but also internally. I think when you read this book. You can imagine those things. First half of chapter one, it's all about these internal displacement within China as well. Before these people got to Taiwan, right? Because a lot of the refugees didn't get to Taiwan. There's only a percentage, a portion of the nationalist refugees that got to Taiwan. And a lot of people who got to Taiwan weren't really on the nationalist side. They were just escaping from the direction of the war, so they just ended up in Taiwan. And well, there's maybe in Hong Kong or for the people that are still inside China. Yeah, of course they're. they're History became different, but I just want to say that there is another way of viewing the Chinese Civil War or the Chinese Revolution without actually looking at it as a revolution became more. Actually, based on what you just shared with us, there are many small details we could go into. So I'm thinking maybe we start with this trauma that those people who have left China. So in your book, you also talk about the different kinds of traumas. Could you summarize them? Um, thanks for asking that question. Of course, the book itself is extremely complicated. It is basically describing how a group of people that was displaced and Of course, they are. They, they were traumatized in that process. They weren't traumatized in the same way. There were different stages that they went through on Taiwan. It's how people actually perceived the condition of their displacement. And in trying to understand this very complicated historical experience, I sort of set up a few categories of, of trauma. Basically, three. First one is the individual trauma. That's something I don't really talk about that much, except in. Maybe chapter one when I talked about the exodus.、Uh, when I talk about higher suicide rates, when you compare the mainlander Taiwan mainlander population to the Taiwanese population on Taiwan, where the stats when we have the numbers, right? You can see that's individual trauma. But the other two traumas are two categories of the traumas are the ones I talk more. One is called the social trauma. The other one, cultural trauma. So what is the difference between social trauma and cultural trauma? It's actually quite easy. Cultural trauma. Is basically memory, memory narratives, right? So the great exodus from China, the stories of it, it's actually the memory of a very traumatic story, like these stories of escaping from war and getting or getting on the last boat and last ship out of out of China and seeing some of your friends and relatives just drown in the water. It was very, it was experience was traumatic, but then the telling of this story. How this particular memory then becomes a marker of your identity. That happened in Taiwan in the late 1980s and early 1990s. I mean, we'll get to that point. So that's the cultural trauma. But, but social traumas are like changing society or changing historical circumstances that made people feel displaced, made people feel that they're in shock. 
they don't know what to do and what to deal with the situation. Of course, the very beginning, we see the different stage of traumatization or different forms of traumatization. For example, the, the exodus itself was a social trauma, right? You are forcefully displaced and that entire process, like when you got to Taiwan, you know, you are an atomized individual. You, you need to really reestablish yourself again. And, and so that's in, of course, in the late 40s and early 50s, right? But when you get to like the same group of people when they got through the end of the 1950s and the 60s, and I argue in the book, that's the time when they enter another stage of social trauma. Like, broken anticipation. That trauma was set in because that was the moment when a lot of the first generation mainlanders or Chinese civil war exiles on Taiwan realized that they might never go home again. So the idea is that that connection might be lost you know, to you forever. And it's basically an attack and destruction on your identity, you know, the very concept of self. And when that trauma set in, when they went through the first stage with their sister of still distinct of that they could go home, the memory that they produced the most, I, I mean, the, uh, the, first gen- the first generation mainlanders, the exile, was that they reflect time and time again back to their previous refugee experience during the the anti-Japanese war, because that war was the last war, right? And they also sometimes talk a little bit about the civil war as well, but not that much. Civil war and the defeat and the refugee movement that was a political taboo until democratization in Taiwan. But you can talk about the anti-Japanese war. Uh, again, I argue in the book, it is, for them, it possessed great meaning because in the end of that war, they got to go home. A lot of them were also refugees during those wars, and they were displaced to different marginal places in China, usually uh, southwest China, all these marginal provinces. But in the end, they get to go home. So there was you know, people reflect on their experience. And like I said, it's a way of making them better. When they got to the social trauma of that broken anticipation or expectation, they really slowly move on to another memory, a memory that's centering around their home provinces and hometowns in China. And when I say memory, I mean encyclopedic knowledge of it. They try to basically produce actual texts like magazines about their hometowns, the food, the music, the geography, folklores, like anything that you can think of, informational. So a lot of these activities, the cultural activities, they're centered around what's called the Native Place Association. These associations were actually formed, of course, uh, by first-generation mainlanders trying to help one another. Because you can imagine that if you are a refugee population, you get to a new place, you don't know the local population, you don't speak the local dialects, and the local Taiwanese, a lot of them just, they just didn't like you. The thing is that you got to rely on if the friends that you know in China, your fellow natives, right? Your former classmates or your former co-workers, you're going to find. And native place connections uh, became extremely important in Taiwan in the 1950s and 60s through, uh, throughout the 70s until the moment when Taiwan sort of democratized and they, they could go home in the late 1980s. And that was another 
huge shock. I think in terms of the degree, it might it may be stronger initial exodus, right? When you see your your hometowns, like you spend like decades reminiscing and write all this uh, cultural works about turning into something that you can hardly recognize, or it wasn't really that good anyway. You just have basically sort of turned it into an ideal paradise. Well, while you're on exile and and there was this huge social trauma of homecoming that set in. And the last social trauma is when they got back to Taiwan because Taiwan democratized and now all of a sudden they're this sort of minority. They used to be a privileged and dominating minority because they, you know, naturally they came with the national spirit James, although they're refugees. Right? And, and because they're refugees, they have to find a lot of them were in the military to begin with. Right? About half the population was in the military. And, but they're, they're all in a low ranking. There, there are a lot of foot soldiers and, and low ranking non-commissioned officers. You know, it's not like everyone is an elite. But then you also have people that are civil servants and teachers. Um, they have to be in those jobs because they can't find job locally. You have to rely on the government. But then after democratization, you can imagine with the rise of the local native Taiwanese and start accusing the mainlander of why don't you go back to China, right? You, know, you don't belong to Taiwan. And, and yet at that point, they have lived on the island for over 40 years. And for the second and third generation, they were actually born in Taiwan. So this is an extraordinary situation, as you can imagine. And that's the time when, and this comes mainly from the second and third generation, trying to basically produce a memory that's, that's centered on the great exodus from China. And my interpretation and reading of that is that they're trying to say we are also Taiwanese. We are just a different type of Taiwanese. I mean, we do have our you know, connections to China, just like you have your connections to China, and we're sort of on the equal footing. And you said you are victimized and traumatized. Let me tell you, we are also victimized and traumatized. And so this type of memory, they, and the other memories, they fade out. This book is, if you're going to say it's the history of the exodus, yes, there's a lot of history of the exodus. Uh, some people will say, well, it's history of mainlander population in Taiwan. Yeah, but I think more importantly, if you wanted to find it more precisely, it's the history of the mainlander memory. <laughs> there's a history there. And, and then because of these different social traumas, whereas in the end, you get a collective cultural trauma of the that center on the great exodus and the meaning of that cultural trauma is the formation of this mainlander identity with taiwan's democratizations there is also an effort to talk about the collective memory of the mm. the local taiwanese people some of them have suffered some kind of suppression from Chiang kai shek's authoritarian regime uh, February 28th now is some kind of a day to collectively commemorate uh, an important day where uh, Chiang Kai-shek's army uh, brutally suppressed the local Taiwanese people. So there's a new narration going on. And if you are the kind of person feel very sympathetic to these efforts, then you tend to ignore the other narrative that you just uh, given. Uh, that kind of generate really attention in the Taiwanese society. I wonder how you see this kind of polarization or different Mm -hmm. streams of collective memory formation in Taiwan nowadays. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. As you rightly point out, since democratization, there is this polarization of society. What most people see are the stuff that's going on in in the political dimension, right? The elections,、uh, the partisanship, the party support. But I think another dimension that you know people don't usually talk about is divided memory communities. I mean, of course, they will talk about ethnicity and ethnic differences, right? Okay, that's another way to. Understand, like mainlanders and some people will say ethnic group,、uh, Taiwanese, or, or they have two groups, the Hoklos and Hakka. But sometimes the ethnic group themselves don't directly correspond to party support or memory community, right? Because we also have a part of the Taiwanese community they accept the nationalist narrative, right? And I have met people who are two to a victims of families, but they or mainlanders. Who you know their parents or or they themselves suffer from nationalist white terror, but after democratization, they became staunch supporters of the nationalist party. <laughs> so that's why I said, if you want to understand it from the perspective ethnicity, maybe the the, the picture is not that complete. But if you understand it from the、uh, perspective of divided memory groups. That's where you can see the the differences and and why people react to certain things. So back to the、uh, the idea of what are you going to do about it? Like how should we understand it? Or how should we ameliorate the situation? I wrote this book in a way that it is. I reveal my own identity at the very end. There's a writing strategy in it. Because of course, I want everyone to read this book, right? But I want the people that have a relationship with Taiwan, or they themselves are from Taiwan. When they read this book, they will be like, "Okay, yeah, this guy, you know, he might be a third-generation mainlander, right? Looking at how sympathetic he is towards the mainland." And a lot of people at that surprise got to the very end and was like, "Oh my God,、uh, he came from the Taiwanese side, and not only that,、uh, his family was, you know, his grandparents' generation. They really suffer from the two-two-a, right? And how could he be so? Like I said, like, I think the correct word to use is empathetic, not sympathetic, right? Because there's a difference. It's like I have this. You know, it's not like I pity you, but I have this very in-depth and informed understanding of your historical experience and why you know a group of people like that will enter this sort of cycle of of displacement and, and trauma. And why is it you know it's so hard? I don't know for the mainlander to see their own displacements also displace the Taiwanese, although this is not what they want. You know, if they they were forced into this exile. But there, then it's very hard for them to also admit that, and the importance of that nationalist narrative and the nationalist legacy. Right? It is not that they don't want to see that because they knew in their heart that it wasn't an authoritarian regime and it suppressed people, and even they themselves, you know, suffer from it. Right? But after democratization, it is the nationalist symbol. Especially, you know, for example, like your Chiang Kai-shek statue, the <laughs> Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, that has some kind of symbolic meaning to them because it represents, you know, their history and their existence on the island. It was actually part of that, right? You can't just say like you want to remove it without consult with with that memory group because they will feel offended, and of course, the Taiwanese side will feel offended naturally. Is I mean, from their perspective, is like, oh, you know what? We're decades into democratization. 
why are there still so many Chiang Kai-shek statues? And why is that the biggest one, Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, still stands right there in central Taipei? It, that in itself is an affront to all the victims, you know, and the victims' families, right? And it's a mockery of Taiwanese democracy. Like I said, the reason why I write this book, the way in which I write it is to show that across communal, cross-cultural understanding of trauma is possible. There's a, there's a step for people to see why certain traumatic memories and narratives are continued and why that up to a certain point is no longer justifiable for uh, memory groups, you know, for the inheritors of these memories. You know, as I said in the book, in the very end, like, of course, there was a period of time when I was extremely angry extremely angry at the nationalist regime, the dictatorial, not the party right now, you know, the dictatorial party and regime and dictators of Chiang Kai-shek and Chiang Chi-kuo, and also in general towards the Bangladesh, right? After this entire learning experience, I spent over 10 years researching and, and writing this book, and I have this sort of in-depth understanding and real understanding of where that traumatic experience comes from and how as human beings we we will all react to the same situation, you know, probably in the same way. The idea is that we, the generation that's born later, you know, for mainland there will be third generation. I'll be the third generation Taiwanese, or, or even you know, for the people younger than uh, maybe the fourth generation. We have an ethical responsibility to study this history, and then at the same time, crossing that line, that boundary, that memory community boundary, to understand one another in such profound way. Not just to say, "Oh, you suffer and I suffer, so we're all e- we're even or we're all equal." Right? It's not like that. It's, it's really not that simple. Because these traumatic experiences, they produce affects, affects that continue to sort of divide society and destroy. And for me, as a person who comes from Taiwan, I think unity is something that we need in Taiwan. Because China now is not too good It's with this militant stance, right? So, I mean, on a practical level, this is something that we need. And even not on that level, it's just for the sake of deepening democracy and this proper function of this civil society, we need to reach some sort of reconciliation. I think the most proper way for reconciliation is through this cross-cultural understanding and also like step out of our cocoon to see that uh, at the end of the day, your parents suffer, your grandparents actually suffer. You do not suffer from those. You are the inheritor of this traumatic memory. You have a different ethical responsibility. The ethical responsibility is to do this history right and then reach reconciliation with others. Thank you so much, Dominique, for sharing your insights with us. I think it was very therapeutic after reading your book and listening to your sharing. I do think reconciliation is what Taiwan needs very importantly at this moment and to have a healing for all these divided communities, each of them carry with their own traumatic memories and experiences. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast with me, Julie Yuen Chen, and Dominique Mengxuan Yang. Professor Yang is a Associate Professor of East Asian History at University of Missouri, Columbia, USA. His book, The Great Exodus from China, Trauma, Memory, and Identity in Modern Taiwan, he won the Memory Studies Association's first book award. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia Podcast.